I would say that a lot of our success and and a lot of the strategies that we are using to keep our staff safe is is a direct result of listening to them and getting their input on what they think would help make them feel safer. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats. From severe weather to a global pandemic, let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where we discuss insights and ideas for how to protect your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and I'm joined today by Kristen Husen. Kristen is the Senior Director of Home Health and Hospice at Centricare. Kristen, thanks so much for being here. How are you? I'm great, Peter. I'm happy to be here and honored to be a guest on your podcast. Yeah, well, thank you again for making the time. I know you're busy. And our focus today is keeping home healthcare workers safe in an emergency and really how that translates to any lone worker. But before we begin, can you give our listeners some context to our conversation by just providing a bit about your background? Of course. So I'm a physical therapist by trade. I started my career in a nursing home and then outpatient clinic before I landed a job in my favorite setting of care, which is home health. That was way back in 2005. My position at that time was providing physical therapy interventions to patients in their homes. And over the years, transitioned into a leadership position going back to 2008. So, you know, while I I really loved my position, seeing patients in the field, as we say. I also really enjoy my current position because I get to do some of that work behind the scenes to make those field staff lives a little easier, hopefully. Uh, fantastic. It's yeah, a very well-rounded experience there. That's wonderful. Now, my understanding is that CentraCare works with patients in hospitals really all across central Minnesota, including St. Cloud Hospital, which is one of the largest health systems in the state. So can you tell us just a little bit about the medical care and services that CentraCare provides? Absolutely. So Centricare provides a wide array of services. There's six hospitals and something like 20, I think, primary care clinics. We also have specialty clinics, a surgery center, nursing home facilities. And really exciting, just last week, we made Newsweek's best hospitals list for 2021. Ah, Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. So we're ranked number 45 in the nation and just second to Mayo in our state of Minnesota. But my role here is really with within the home health and hospice division, where we also provide skilled home care and hospice services. Our service area is roughly 800 square miles, covering 11 counties in central Minnesota. We serve patients from birth to death, we say. So we have children on services, but really the largest patient population is older adults, mostly those recovering from an acute illness that required a hospitalization. But we also provide interventions to help patients manage their life-limiting illness. And in the case of hospice, we assist patients and families live full, comfortable lives until they die. So we run the gamut. We take care of people wherever it is that they call home. So that could be a nursing home or assisted living, senior housing, a traditional home or apartment. And we've even had some non-traditional settings like homeless shelters where we've Hmm. served patients in our communities. 
Well, with that in mind, I don't know if there's any such thing as typical, but <laughs> what is a typical day like for one of your home healthcare workers? What kind of situations do they deal with when they go to a patient's home to provide care? Sure. So, you know, our staff typically see somewhere between four and six or seven patients in a day, depending on where the patients all live that are on their schedule and, and how far they have to drive. We average about 13 miles a visit. So some are driving less than that and some have a bigger geographic graphic region to cover and, and maybe we'll put on more than 100 miles in a day. So that alone can add some variability depending on our Minnesota winters and how the road conditions are. Yeah. But the staff in the home, the nurse or the therapist or the personal care aide spends roughly 40 to 50 minutes in the home depending on what those cares or services are. But as you might imagine, every home has a little bit a different setup and that definitely provide some unique challenges for our staff. Patients are sometimes not living in the greatest conditions or have the cleanest homes. Sometimes they have makeshift equipment and almost all of them have some sort of tripping hazard or, or other structural setup that isn't ideal for whatever ailment or illness or mobility issue that they may have encountered in their life. So, you know, our staff can get pretty creative at times and sometimes they have to think through how they're going to do a sterile dressing change in a home that is less than clean. Or, you know, in the case of our therapy team, they have to figure out how to safely provide balance or strengthening exercises without having access to the typical equipment that you might find in a facility or a clinic. So they have to adapt to their environment and everybody's home is just slightly different. So we are constantly assessing the patient's safety as well as the safety of our staff in each unique living condition for sure. Yeah, I mean, flexibility is absolutely key there. I can't imagine most people out there, they're used to using the same tools day in and day out. It's like, okay, your job is to do X with tool Y. Right. But in your case, people do job X with tool A, B, C, D, E, F, G. <laughs> it's absolutely. just unbelievable. Absolutely. Yeah, just be flexible in the field. Well, with that in mind, do any specific safety concerns arise from your employees being in these unfamiliar home environments? What are they concerned about? Definitely. I think safety concerns come up on a regular basis. You know, the environment is not controlled. It can be extremely unpredictable. So whether it's safety for our patients or our staff, it's a pretty regular occurrence. And, you know, even some patients that we know well, and we've been to their home many times before, you really just never know what you're going to find on the other side of that door. And so, you know, sometimes it might be a change in their environment that causes a concern. And sometimes there's other people in the home that you didn't expect to see. And now they're here for your visit. You know, I, I don't want to be too doom and gloom. Many times those are wonderful, caring family members or friends or neighbors, but we have had situations where another person present was posing a threat either to the patient or to our staff member. So there's a variety. I think one of the more surprising threats that our staff see is getting bit by the dog, mm, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So there's all of these other variables that you don't see in a typical healthcare setting, but we've had nurses bit by dogs. And so we create policies about, you know, not smoking a cigarette while our staff are present or in having the pets in another room, just some of those smaller things. I would say that one of the biggest or maybe scariest safety concerns for our staff is really when we are making visits after dark. So we're a 24-7 operation and, and we don't typically schedule visits at 2 a.m. 
but sometimes that's when the patient calls and they need us and yeah. our presence can avoid a trip to the ER for them. Sometimes, you know, the person's loved one passed away and, and we always make a visit when a patient dies on our hospice program. And so, you know, oftentimes it's not the home environment that is the concern, but it's getting into the home after dark. It's parking a block away and then having to walk to the home, you know, in some neighborhoods can be a little bit, make our staff feel a little unsafe. So there's a variety of things, you know, depending on the situation and the type of visit that they're making. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think that's something that any organization that has lone workers really needs to think about is you don't just need to worry about them while they're actually performing the job. You have to worry about them when they're just trying to get to the job because that's part of the workday. And there's so many different neighborhoods they go through and conditions and got to walk through a front lawn with a crazy dog or I mean, whatever right. it is. It's you so know? true. Yeah. yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Well, being in the healthcare industry and on the front lines of COVID-19, everyone's favorite topic these days, yeah. <laughs> what did you guys do to prepare your workers as they transitioned into the pandemic? And what was that experience like? Unlike a lot of other folks, you can't do what you do from home. So people still had to do what they were doing, going on site and visiting folks who were immunocompromised and the like. Absolutely. You know what? It has been a complete whirlwind. I don't know a better way to describe it. I will say, you know, being attached to a healthcare system, we had more resources than some of our other home health and hospice colleagues have had. So we feel very grateful for the support that we've received, you know, but like everyone else, we were very, we were fearful and, and really worried about our patients and, and making sure that we weren't the ones bringing COVID into their home. We also wanted to make sure that our staff Staff were protected as they are out and about in the community. And, you know, they, they have to make a stop to use the restroom at times during their day. And so they're, they're using, you know, different public facilities. And that's not always the ideal situation either. You know, I think early on, I was sending a mass text or email every day, if not twice a day with the latest testing protocols and PPE and quarantine and all of those things. We were called upon by our health system to also offer some testing in place for our nursing home residents in our community. We didn't want those patients showing up at the ER if they were symptomatic in particular. So we had to make some adjustments and quickly kind of roll out a, a hotline to be able to support a need for testing in place. So I won't say that it was perfect right out of the gate, but I think we were able to remain pretty nimble and, and make adjustments as we went. We held daily huddles, even if they they were virtual. And some of that is still occurring today. I think we've learned a lot about how we can continue to be more nimble and flexible by enhancing our communication a little bit and not just relying on, you know, email. I think we were really transparent about our PPE availability and what risks there were for our patients and our staff. And we encouraged them to really use their best judgment and ask for help if they needed it. You know, our communication plan was really put to the test this past year and, and still is today. I remember thinking at first, you know, we had done a lot related to emergency preparedness and we felt confident in our plan and, and we felt prepared. And so I was thinking like, okay, we got this, but 
But then, you know, that confidence like quickly dissipated when we realized, okay, this isn't like all of the exercises that we've done. It's not going to end in a few hours or maybe a couple of days. We're in this for the long haul. So for us, really, that endurance factor was something that we hadn't really thought about preparing for. And, you know, the wear and tear of COVID just kind of lingering on is definitely something that we're still dealing with. We didn't anticipate that. And we're still monitoring and responding to the next surge potential or the variants that are out there, the testing needs. And and now with the vaccine rollout, you know, it's still a hot button issue for us on the daily. Yeah, clearly. Well, let's talk about the vaccine just for a minute. What's the rollout been like for your team and perhaps even for your patients? I think so far it's gone as smooth as it can be, you know, considering that the receipt of when we're going to get the next shipment of vaccine has not been all that predictable or reliable. Our internal employee health team has really done a phenomenal job of making it easy for our staff to get the vaccine when it was available. That rollout went extremely smooth. They had groups prioritized, created extra call center staff so that we could get people scheduled and proud to say we have not wasted any mm, vaccine. I think we're somewhere around 50 or 60% of center care employees have been vaccinated now. Some wow. are choosing not to, and, and some who can work from home full-time are not eligible quite yet. So there's a little bit of a gap there. The rollout in the community priority groups has been a little bit more challenging to manage you know, some of that related to the uncertainty of supply, but also just connecting community, the right population in our community with the vaccination definitely has proven to be a little bit more challenging. Well, as you mentioned previously, there are a number of uncertainties in a home setting, even before COVID-19. That's just an extra layer of complexity that you guys have to deal with. But what are the primary ways that Central Care ensures the safety of its home health care workers? What do, you, what do you guys do? What are the top three things, maybe? Sure. We have several strategies. You know, I think first and foremost, we always give our staff the free reign to trust their judgment. That's the first thing that we talk about with orientation. Don't worry about the patient or what you left in the home. If you don't feel safe, just get out and we'll figure it out later. Mm. CentraCare as a organization also offers nonviolent crisis intervention training and our staff do that annually as well. We've done other things too, like, you know, depending on the situation, we may have two staff make a visit together, or we may make a contract with a patient that says your son who is threatening our staff can't be present during our visits or things along those lines. We We've even done police escorts at times, you know, especially if it's the middle of the night situation. And I don't want to leave out one of our technology solutions, and that is the safe signal program that we have through Alert Media. Yeah. And that is fantastic. We're really pleased. Our staff feel so much safer having a panic button, so to speak. So they have quick access to law enforcement, you know, for whatever reason when they encounter something. I really believe that has helped you know, onboard staff. We've even gotten feedback from family members of our staff, spouses who are like, we're so glad you're providing this because when my wife gets called out in the middle of the night to do a visit, I worry about her. And that makes me feel a little bit better about her safety. So we're really pleased with that solution. And and I think it's an, you know, an out of the box 
option for our staff because of that unpredictability. Even if you have two people there, or even if you have a contract in place, or you know, even if people feel like they have the ability to trust their gut and not be you know reprimanded for it later, there's still something to be said about having that law enforcement know where you are and that you need help when you need it. So it's an application on their phone that our loan workers can tee up a monitoring session if they want, or they can have a timed session, or they can just have a panic button. And what that means is really when they're out in a home, if they have a situation that they feel like they need law enforcement deployed, they can either pull the tether cord or push the panic button, or at the end of that time, that alarm will no notify local law enforcement based on the where their device is and deploy them to that area to get them the help that they need. This was actually this implementation of Safe Signal is something that was a direct result of feedback from our staff and St. Cloud Hospital is a magnet designated hospital and as part of that designation process there are stories that need to be generated that demonstrate straight leadership and frontline staff having a say and, and working together. And one of the stories that was featured was our implementation of the Safe Signal product. And the magnet surveyors, when they were on site, asked many questions about that whole process and were really impressed. Not only that we were providing that to our staff, but also just at how reliable and what a great idea it was to help our staff feel more safe while they're out in the home and community. Oh, it's fantastic. What a great story. Well, thank you for that. And you know, without a doubt, having that kind of angel sitting over your shoulder that can coordinate that response for you with local law enforcement. So you don't, all you have to do is get through the next few minutes. Yep, exactly. <laughs> until you get that help. That's, that's huge. It really is. I guess, generally speaking, how do you communicate with your workers when they're in a home environment? That's always a big challenge for a lot of companies with loan workers, just, just staying in touch with them rapidly and reliably. Yeah, it is. We have a variety of options. You know, there's email might be something that's for less urgent communications. We actually found out from some of our emergency preparedness exercises that that's not at all in a way to get people to respond urgently to something. <laughs> right. That red dot that says they have unread emails never goes away. So one more number yeah. doesn't get them to pay attention. But, you know, we've we've had some good results with a secure texting option that can make a, a sound alert them audibly. So even if they have their phone on silent, it will still grab their attention. And text message in general seems to be how we, you know, outside of a phone call where we need to get a hold of, you know, one person, obviously that would be the quickest, easiest. But if we're sending out a communication to multiple people, we would use that secure texting app or a regular text message just to even catch their attention and say, call when you have time or check your email because there's an important one in there. Right. So yeah, that's what we've used so far. You know, it used to be a supply of quarters in everybody's glove box. So they'd have, <laughs> an, you know, could stop at the next payphone, but those are hard to come by these days. So we've had to upgrade our technology. Yeah. It seems like when you got people in the field, just transparency and open communication are huge. So what kind of feedback do you receive from employees about the benefits of having that open communication with the mothership or, you know, the home base? Yeah. You know, 
when we first tried some of these mass communication attempts via email, that was some of the feedback that, you know, I didn't see this for two days. Is it too late for me to respond? Well, yes, <laughs> it is. <laughs> but they also, you know, they've given us some of that feedback that has helped guide our direction, something that makes a noise and catches their attention because many of them like to keep their phone on silent. So they, right. you know, unless it's an emergency, they're not interrupted when they're with a patient. So that has been some of the feedback that we've received that has actually guided and changed some of our processes. Well, is there one thing in particular that you're proud of or passionate about when it comes to the safety and well-being of your employees or your emergency preparedness plan in general? You know, I really value the time that I spent seeing patients in the home. It, it was quite some time ago, but I distinctly can remember encounters that left me feeling uncomfortable or uneasy. You know, I, I know I walked into homes where maybe there were drugs that I didn't know about, or, you know, there's guns propped up in the corner, yeah. patients that were, or their family members that were maybe gruff or what I would consider to be, you know, untrustworthy and, and even a couple vicious dogs in there too. And so as vividly as I can still see those, even though it was 15-ish years ago, I really don't want my colleagues out in the field to have encounters like those. And, and I know that I can't prevent that from happening 100% of the time, considering the work that we do. So I guess my passion is really about ensuring that there's some sort of tool and or protection that, you know, I can continue to have available to keep these you know, healthcare heroes mm -hmm. really as safe as possible and, and to keep them wanting to do this work. It's very rewarding. And at the same time, you know, it can be uncomfortable or, or scary at times. So I'm grateful that, you know, I have support from our senior leadership in implementing some of the safeguards like Safe Signal and some of the other tools and technology that we use, because I think it's over and above what other agencies do, at least in, in my network of, of home health colleagues. And so I'm proud of what we have and I'm grateful for it. And, and I'm always looking to see what's the next thing that we can provide really to keep our staff safe and prevent them from encountering some of those types of situations. Yeah. And like you said, it's not just the protection of the worker, but the sanity of their family. Right. <laughs> knowing that they've got a spouse or a, a daughter, a son, a father, a mother, whatever, going out into these homes at risk, potentially, right. knowing that they've got the technology there to help keep them safe can really help holistically. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, we like to end by giving our audience a piece of advice or a practical tip they can really very immediately implement to make an impact on their organization. So in your mind, what can the audience do today to help improve their company's safety culture? So I'm, I'm not safety culture expert. <laughs> I, I, at least I wouldn't consider myself that. And I've heard some others on your podcast and I've been overly impressed. So I feel a little underqualified, but I will give a couple pieces of advice and just two things, both somewhat basic, but I think they've been really instrumental and, and they kind of go hand in hand. And they're things that I need to remind myself of. And so that's first, if you haven't worked on the front line or of whatever your industry is or, or spent some time there, or maybe you haven't been there in a while, like I haven't, go back again and, and relive it for an hour or a day or, or whatever mm -hmm. makes sense to you. Just enough to, to get another perspective and to see what might be threatening your company's safety culture. I think it's easy to forget about that and 
the other piece really that goes hand in hand is a reminder to also listen to those staff and everybody on your team. I tend to talk more than listen by nature. And so I need to remind myself of that <laughs> routinely, but it's not your job to just automatically solve that often leaders tend to do. Sometimes you just need to listen and take a little time to reflect back on, on what's being said and hear that other perspective. I would say that a lot of our success and a lot of the strategies that we are using to keep keep our staff safe is, is a direct result of listening to them and getting their input on what they think would help make them feel safer. So that's my best advice. That's fantastic. Very sage advice. <laughs> I think it's great. I remember years ago when I was in college, I worked at a restaurant, fairly large chain, and they hired a new CFO. And the CFO, they required everyone in the company to go work as a line cook, a busboy, and a waiter for a week. CFO of this large company coming in because Phenomenal. they realized exactly what you just said, which is the only way to really understand what's going on on the front line is to be there right in the thick of it. So that's fantastic advice. <laughs> it's not my own. I, I'm sure I stole it probably from that CFO. <laughs> but like you said, we forget. So that's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> well, Kristen, thanks so much for being on the show today and for all the incredible care that you and your team provide to people who are in such great need of it. Really kudos to you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, if anyone listening has follow-up questions or would like to connect with you, what's the best way for them to find you out there? The easiest way is via email. I can be found at husenk at centricare.com. All right. Perfect. Well, thanks again for taking time to join us on the Employee Safety Podcast. And for the rest of you out there, remember, nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency. So communication is incredibly important. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.